Hey everyone, Alex Bloomberg here. This week, I want to share a new show here at Gimlet. It's called How's Work. The show is hosted by renowned therapist Esther Perel. You may know her from her groundbreaking couples therapy podcast, Where Should We Begin? With How's Work, Esther brings her incisive, honest, and revealing therapeutic conversations to the workplace. Instead of talking to people in couples about their romantic relationships, she's talking to coworkers, co-founders, and colleagues about the intense emotions and conflict we all can experience at work. In this first episode, you'll hear from two co-founders. They've been basically inseparable since they flew fighter jets together in the Navy. But now, for the first time in a decade, they're thinking of moving on to separate ventures. And they're trying to figure out what work looks like if they don't have each other. In other words, it's time for them to break up. And they're struggling with how to handle it. Astaire helps them dig into their relationship and helps them imagine a work future without each other. So that is the episode we're going to play for you today. If you're interested to hear more, follow How's Work for free only on Spotify. Remember, it's free to sign up for an account on Spotify. And once you're there, if you like How's Work, please follow the show for more episodes. Okay, here it is. I just, I feel continually undermined. The job has always been that place where I've been needed and I feel important. A lot of the people that work for me are like an extension of my family. There's no doubt that your emotional and relational dowry comes with you to work. Imagine going to work every day in a really busy place and no one will make eye contact with you. I mean, it feels like a breakup. It doesn't feel. It is. <laughs> so, how's work? What you're about to hear is an unscripted, one-time counseling session focused on work. For the purposes of maintaining confidentiality, names, employers, and other identifiable characteristics have been removed. But their voices and their stories are real. just the 30-second background. Mm -hmm. We flew jets together in the Navy in, in the same aircraft. Uh, we flew F-18s. We deployed to uh, Iraq, flying off the Truman. In many ways, this is a love story. We had both decided at some point, hey, we're really good at this together. And a lot of times that's kind of rare for a two-seat crew to be really good. You have to have a good pilot, a good Wizzo, and they have to communicate and work well together for the deal to sing, but when it does, it's a one plus one is greater than two thing. So we decided, hey, we need to do some business together. We didn't know what that would be. Mike got out of the Navy about three months before I did. I called him up and said, how is it? And he said, get here as fast as you can. This is life changing. So I flew in the next day, went to work with him the next day, got a job the next day, bought a house the next day, and moved to Midland. There's an amazing thing happening while you're talking. He's literally lip-syncing with you what you're saying. Well, that, that happens a lot. <laughs> From the early days in the cockpit, both Mike and Jay have been inseparable. They built an oil company together afterwards, and their strength, their boldness, their ability to assess and to take risks has always been predicated on the fact that they were together. I'm kind of the visionary creative guy, and Jay's the one that actually makes things happen. Can I stop you one quick sec? Sure. If you want your names not in there, then you may want to not Use always. Them not as much. I, just I, I don't say, know that may... I care about my name. Okay. No, right. yeah, we're, I just we're want fine. You to... we're, I'm fine with, with first name. I mean, okay. I, I, don't, I don't think it's that big a deal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that business was very successful, but the opportunity kind of faded, and so we've been kind of figuring out what it is we want to do next. Uh, we were feeling very stuck and uh, had been that way for probably two years. Now I have a new idea. It's just come to life. I'm really excited about it, but Jay is not as excited about it, and, and we've kind of come to a place where we think that we, we can do different things, and we're starting to figure out what that looks like for us because we've been together as, as kind of life partners yeah. For for ten years, we've beat this drum that like this team is the reason for all of the success. So then the other side of that equation means if there's no team, there's no success. And this is the first time where the question is asked: Is it that they succeeded because they had such a good idea, 
Or is it also that they've succeeded because the strength of the us was the overriding factor? And so now that they are considering their first ever separation, the fear is that the best idea may not succeed if the us is no more. Tell me something. What you said Looks you would like. keep this business, but you would continue something else separately and you could do some together and some not? Yes. Or does it feel like this is our first separation? Well, it does feel like that for sure. Yeah. But yeah, this is the first time we've ever actually acknowledged out loud, like, hey, we don't have to be 50-50 partners in everything going forward. I would say for both of us, that's probably a little uh, both scary and, um, I don't know, freeing. That's the word I had. Yeah. Uh, Explain each. Well, the scary part is that it's just it's a, it's a security blanket. I mean, you know how we operate together. Um, I would say that I am as worried about not having his ideas and vision and excitement as I'm assuming, but as he might be worried about not having me to keep him a little bit in check and provide a little bit of administrative abilities for his sometimes quite... Uh, disorganized into a manic state. Uh, so that's scary. Um, and for the same exact reasons, it's kind of freeing. What's it like for you to say, I'm going to do this on my own, or maybe even with somebody else? It's terrifying and really empowering. It feels like a new test to be kind of the benevolent dictator and not always have to balance something off a 50-50 partner. I'm solely responsible and I'm in charge and now I have to be more of a grown-up and I don't, I don't always have my conscience there to, to rein me in. Like, I'm going to have to do that myself. In a way, I mean, you have a perfect complementarity, right? Yes. In which one person can have the vision, the other person thinks the implementation. Yes. And you like those, that, you know, you rely on it. And by, when you rely on it, you don't have to think about it so much because you know the other one will think about the thing <laughs> that you are not so good at. Yes, you nailed it. That is a priceless complementarity. Yes. Because... The, often the reverse is one person criticizes the other for the very thing that they actually need. In your case, you praise each other for the very thing. Each one enacts the part that the other person isn't as confident about. Yes. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. Now, it's not all cherry blossoms and I, roses. I that, mean, that, which, who lives there? Right. <laughs> is there such a, an Eden? <laughs> I haven't met it, but uh, no. That means that, that you can have a major sparring, I suppose. But, well, you tell me. Why am I telling you? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first we need to start with the environment where we grew up. You know, In the ready room of a fighter squadron, it's an environment where passive-aggressive is not acceptable. Explain that. When there's an issue, it's, it's discussed openly. Uh, without fear of, of hurt feelings and grudge holdings, but like, hey, there's an issue here. We need to address it because there's too much going on. There's too much at stake. Because if we don't, people could die. If we don't, people could die, right? We're flying fighters off of aircraft carriers that are loaded with bombs and guns. I mean, there's a lot of very critical scenarios every day, every flight. Mm -hmm. So we have we've brought that mindset forward to our, our business and more specifically our partnership. When we have issues, we sit down and if it's big enough, we pour a glass of bourbon and or whiskey and, uh, and we just deal with it. Often in the workplace, you have one person who likes the direct form and the other person who may be much more indirect or maybe sometimes what they call the passive aggressive or even totally avoidant. So in their case, they come in initially stating that their approach to managing conflict is similar because they were raised in the same military culture. Of course, one question I have is, is this similarity truly part of their personalities or part of their shared military culture? And what's the complementarity of styles in the way that you discuss hard topics? He helps me open my views up a little bit in terms of like emotion and or, uh, you know, appreciation for the, the way that other people feel. 
um, he helps me kind of think about the fact that it's okay that other people might think about something emotionally different than I do or whatever. And I generally am more adept at that like open and clear communication, like logical maybe. You have the five siblings, right? Yes. And you're the solo child. Yes. Makes sense. Do you see the connection? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> it just popped on me. But, uh, you learn to solve things alone, and you learn to think about how it affects others. That's why we're sitting in your office. I would have never thought of that, but that's, that's true. If you are a solo child, and you live with solo parent, or sola parent, it becomes sometimes more difficult to be able to have separate opinions. <laughs> yes, that's accurate. I also think that, and I'm not sure how this plays with the whole being an only child, but like, I'm actually pretty easily convinced when a logical argument is presented to me. Um, and <laughs> he's, a, he's a salesman, he can sell his ideas, um, and he knows how to sell them to me without a whole lot of trouble. Can I ask you trouble. something? Sure. Was your mom good at that? I don't know, I wonder. She, we grew up with my grandparents. You know, my dad died when I was two and a half, so it was just me and her, and we lived, we moved in with my grandparents, who were the best, they were awesome. So, uh, we didn't have any money, so she, she had a fend for, for us both, you know, from, from the start. So, I mean, she's just an incredible woman, the things that she was able to do with nothing. You know, my dad had a business that was terrible. It was an aviation business. He loved. He had it because he loved aviation, not because he was good at business. And you became a pilot. Yes. No. Not surprisingly. Yeah. Um, but when he died, she she was stuck with this business and trying to figure out what to do. Felt the responsibility to the to the business, the dream, and to the employees. Um, and she, you know, in a couple of years, she got that business from the red into the black and and sold it. I look back at that and go, wow, that's that's incredible. So I don't think anybody was ever telling her what to do. So I don't know the answer to that question. Because you're thinking of it as an issue of command and control. Sure, I, that's the way I think of a lot of things. Right. I wasn't thinking about it from that side. I was thinking about it as, if you'd give me a good argument, I can be convinced, A, because I think it's a sound argument. Yes. And two, because I thrive on harmony. But, yes. I thrive on harmony with my grandparents, I thrive on harmony with my mom, and I thrive on harmony with my business partner. Yes. I, I would say that of ten door-closing sessions where whiskey's poured, nine of them are initiated by Mike. That, that means what? I don't... Um, I avoid conflict. Avoid conflict. I, I chose a nicer way of saying it, but that's what I... <laughs> yeah, yeah. To me, the minute you tell me I love and I admire my mother. Mm. I love and I so deeply appreciate my grandparents. Mm. And I was this only child. Mm. I know you are a pleaser. <laughs> but not in a pleaser in the sense that you want to, you want to have a nice relationship with people that you, that you are fond of, that you love, that you admire, that you respect so much as you respect her. It's that. You don't want to disappoint them. It's, it's absolutely not a negative trait at all. But like every trait, it takes place in a context. Sure. It's the context that determines if it's a useful one today or if it's more detrimental to me today. Same with him. Why is he so good at convincing? Because he's got four other brothers <laughs> and they all have a big mouth and he has to get his, his, his point of view across. He had a training ground from day one. It's like the context of how you grew up exquisitely sharpened certain skills by necessity. And they, of course, come with you to work. Yeah, I wonder how that plays out in uh, even like trying to please your dad who wasn't there. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a, I think that a lot of the things that I do are because my dad wasn't there and I, just want him to be proud. 
And do you know that he is? I, I believe that he is, but it, you know, without any sort of confirmation, then all I can do is just keep trying. But right. in your mind, you've done right by him. 100%. Okay. We're clear on that. So. Or we still are trying to prove it. No, 100%. It's just, okay. you know, if there's more to be done, there's more to be done. I'll tell you, there's one more thing that can be done, but it has nothing to do with business. Come on. What, be a father? Yes. Yeah, that's scary. But that's the one. Sure. You're right. Mom would love it. So would he. Yeah, I think, I think once, the, once the switch was flipped, I would, be, uh, I would be good at that. He'd be amazing. You're afraid that you would go too soon and you'd leave a little kid in your situation? I mean, there's you probably been? a lot of things I'm afraid of. But yeah, I mean, sure, that's absolutely one of them. I mean, I think, I think a lot of the things I do are, could potentially be impacted by a fear of loss or a lot of things I don't do. I love that. Somebody who says that and then becomes a fighter jet pilot. <laughs> How counterphobic can one be? <laughs> Have you heard that too? No, I've never heard that. Counterphobic is the person who jumps cliffs when they're afraid of heights. I was just having this, this discussion with my girlfriend this weekend about forget exactly what it was, but I said, I'm scared of that. And she was like, you're scared of that? What do you mean? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm terrified of it, which is why I try to go do it as much as I can, because then I can take control of that fear and say, no, no, this is illogical. I don't need to fear this. That's called counterphobic. Thanks. <laughs> There's a word for everything. I love it. <laughs> Tell me something. What, you said you were very, very stuck. What unstuck you is the fact that you have a new idea or it's the fact that you realize that you could stay close even if you didn't do everything together? And it's not either or. Yeah, so I, I woke up one morning and said, I, I've, I've, I've achieved all my dreams. I, I went and flew jets in, in the Navy and, and found the ultimate test in combat. And I, I started it a successful company and, and I had a beautiful family and, and I, was, I was a great dad and it, I, mean, I, I had all the things that I thought I wanted and it wasn't enough and it was, I was still looking for something. So what am I gonna do? What's, what's important to me? And but your stuckness was not because of the, what's happening in the business. Your stuckness was more existential and it was more yours or it was both of you? I, I, think, it's, I think I've gotta own it more. I think it was more on me because, because I was the idea guy and I ran out of ideas. I had done the thing that you're supposed to do as an entrepreneur. I, I had created something out of, out of thin air and, and it, it was wildly successful beyond even my own dreams. And, um, and then it dried up and I really had to grieve the, the loss. And uh, to, you know, to borrow Jocko's term, extreme ownership, I mean, that's, I can look in the mirror and, and say, all the successes are because of me and all of the failures are because of me. And I really had to get right with the idea that maybe the failure wasn't because of me. The market changed. But that is valid also for the beginning. Things worked extremely well, not just because of you. Oh, oh. The, <laughs> absolutely. You're, you're, a rising tide floats you on understand? Sure. The extreme ownership is also a hyper-individualistic view. It's all about you the good and the bad. No, neither is the bad, but neither is all the good. It was him, there was the market, there was, a, it's a combination of everything that allowed you to flourish the way you did. There is a no vast, lonely genius, I'm sorry. Or a lone genius, that's the, probably the correct word. Right, the lone genius. Could be both. <laughs> huh? Yes, the lone genius is often lonely. Um, it's always an interaction of multiple facets. Coming up after the break, Esther asks Mike and Jay to talk about the things that go unsaid when they're running their company together. Welcome back. This week, we're sharing an episode of our new show, How's Work. When we left off, Esther was talking with Mike about his moment of crisis when his company was struggling and he was blaming it all on himself. Tell me if I hear you. I got stuck for two years 
in a whole crisis because in some way my premise was wrong. And the premise was, I have done all of this by myself and therefore I'm responsible for the whole failure by myself. And since I couldn't accept that I hadn't done it all by myself, I didn't know how to let go of the other side. Because once I accept that I'm not the source of all failure, then I have to accept that I'm not the source of all success. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there on my ass, constantly trying to squeeze creativity out of me. While I'm completely constipated, I'm saying, where is the next idea, where is the next idea? The stuckness he alludes to wasn't just some matter-of-fact shortness of ideas. We're talking about someone who became crushed by the burdens of responsibility because he needed to come up with a new idea that would be able to feed all the people that he brought into this business, including two of his brothers. I mean, yeah, you kind of laid it out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and Thank I you. think you also are super responsible for when you bring two brothers in. I'm sure you must feel constantly you, the business should even stay alive just for them. I'll be fine, but they, I need to make sure that they are taken care of, right? They, I, oh yeah. So I, I can see the weight of all the responsibility creating so much anxiety that you cannot be creative. Creativity and anxiety are at odds with each other. When you're anxious, you're vigilant. When you're anxious, you're trying to make sure that things stay a certain way, that you're safe, that nothing is bad is going to happen. When you're in that vigilant state, you can't be exploratory, playful, curious, imaginative, creative, innovative, etc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What came first, the idea or the, or the possibility that you could separate? The possibility. possibility. So the very thought that you could, and that it's not an, we are together or we are apart, but that you could have some businesses together and some apart, freed you from a loyalty bind. And it also freed me a little bit from, I don't have to take care of his brothers. And I say that and it sort of sounds negative. Maybe it feels a little bit, but like, if we look at our business over the past year and a half and we were pure economists, I don't think we would have kept this thing open. To me, the only reason I was okay with it was because we were providing those guys with a paycheck and we were taking care of them until we really figured out our program and we could afford to do it. That's what your mother did. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And you admire it. I do. So life is not always about being pure economists. No. And I don't look back on that and go, man, I wish I didn't do it. I look back on it and say, I'm glad we were able to do it. Right. But that you didn't add. If you don't add that, he's left with a different feeling about what you're saying. True. Yeah, and I, and I, I weigh, I mean, it weighs on me. It was, that was a big ask. You know, they, they've been living very lean, and, and I asked Jay to, to give them a bonus, and uh, we're not in the black. And? And we're going to do that. Because you don't want to disappoint him? No. Yes. <laughs> well, sure, that is certainly part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I actually don't think is that... No, people, this is not about good, bad, good, bad. This is about also understanding what are the motivations. Sure. What drives you? Of course you say, I was convinced. But underneath, you say, I was convinced and I have to admit that the presence of his brothers fill in the gap. You know, yes, he did agree with me. But when push comes to shove, I do feel like I did convince him. <laughs> so the burden is on me. The obvious is what you agreed on and what you did. Nice. Super nice. Uh -huh. But then there is the little extra. <laughs> yes. And it's those pieces, 
those extras that we actually don't talk about. Which leads me to ask you, you talk about a lot, a lot of things. What are some of the things that you don't talk about? Well, it's funny. So when you were saying about these little pieces that we don't talk about, I was trying to think and decide why we don't talk about it. I feel like potentially we don't because it's understood. I know that Mike feels the overall responsibility. He doesn't have to tell me that for me to know it. And I know that he knows that I feel a bit of a burden. We don't have to talk about it because he knows it. Right. I just, I do wonder if it would have been more beneficial to check in every once in a while with it. We, we both assumed that the other one knew and, and, uh, and that led to some of the isolation. I mean, at least, you know, we, we had always depended on each other. I mean, literally, you know, lives, I, I depended on you with my life. And, uh, and yet, during this period when I had this crushing anxiety with my best friend, business partner, sitting right next to me, I, I still felt alone during that time. Yeah, and I, and I, did, I did too for my stuff. If we spent four hours in a day talking about what these new ideas were going to be, and then Mike had to go home to his kids, I had to actually then start doing my job because what we were doing in my mind was his job for the past four hours. And now I actually have to do everything that keeps the bills paid and actually, you know, gets a, gets, keeps the company going, uh, which was a super frustration that I didn't ever really, like, share often, maybe... Maybe not ever, really. But, but man, did I feel it, and, and still do. And I would, I would offer to help, but he wouldn't let me, because an organization is not <laughs> my thing. To me, the ideas don't come when there is obstruction. And the obstruction you just described, it's one thing for you to know He's stressed because he feels the burden of responsibility on everybody. And it's one thing for you to know that he's stressed because he needs to make sure that he can do the payroll and et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that you know it doesn't do much for the other person if you don't say it. Yeah. It's like buying a gift that you don't offer. So what? So you went out and you bought a gift, but you never gave it. The place where you are awake and alone at night, each of you fretting about your own thing, that extra space. What really makes the difference is the fact that the other one witnesses it and says, I see you in your predicament. And that I see you is what ultimately makes you feel less alone. Mm. And when you feel less alone, you don't have to put all your psychic energy into self-protection and into the burden of responsibility that's around you. So the envelope can open up, it can widen. The space is created and the ideas can start to come in. One of the most important things of your relationship with him is that he's your brother of choice, but he's the one with whom you were not having to be the oldest. Because all your other brothers you feel responsible for. This one was the equal one. Do you feel at all responsible for me? Yes. <laughs> That's the question that needed to be asked. Yeah. That's a beginning one. It's good. Yeah. And, and, and I know it's not fair. And I, and I know that you don't need me to be responsible for you. Mm -hmm. But the whole time, this whole thing was percolating in my head, a huge piece of it was, where's the place for Jay? Because I feel like if I found something and you didn't, what does that mean for us? Right. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I, don't, I don't want you to feel left behind. If right. this thing takes off and it's wildly successful and you're still looking for your next thing in three years, I'm trying to shield you from pain that doesn't even exist yet, but... Right. But, but that's actually... It's extraordinarily caring, mind you. 
you know, if I do well, I want you part of it. And if you don't do well, I want to know that I didn't let you go into the drain by yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But did you know the thing that he would feel really bad if he went and it became successful and you 100%. were not a part of it? You know that. Yeah. Um, and I think coming to terms with the fact that I'm okay with that, if I'm not as stoked on it as he is, then I don't need to be a party to that in the same level. Um, and also, uh, I need aviation back in my life. Like, I don't have aviation in my life nearly as much as I want to, and I feel like it's a, like a hole. And, uh, um, and so I feel like that is a part of my life that I am not fulfilling right now, and I want to fulfill it. How? So I want to do business. I want to be in charge of my own business, company. Um, I just want it to be with aviation. You know what I'm hearing? It's, I'm hearing a story in, in many directions, right? But piece of the story talks about the complementarity and about how much each of you has added to the other. And a piece of the story talks about how the loyalty you have for each other at some point began to compromise yourself. It's like, how do I hold on to myself while I'm with you? And how much of me do I have to give up in order for the us not to dissolve? And so you stop thinking about aviation, you start thinking about about anything for that matter. You started <laughs> having no thoughts at all anymore and just anxiety. Um, the power of the relationship was so strong that um, it, it was more important than the individuals. And for a while, that's actually quite amazing. You don't see it immediately, the moment at which you begin to feel that the price of the self that has been given up has become too big. And what does it mean too big? Is that it no longer is serving the us. Mm. Mm. Do you understand what I'm describing? Very yes. much. That's incredibly accurate. Hmm. Coming up after the break, Esther talks with Mike and Jay about whether they can succeed without each other. Welcome back. Mike and Jay are talking with Esther because Mike is considering leaving to work on his own venture. After 10 years working side by side with Jay, it raises the question, can Mike do it on his own? Do you need another partner? I mean, you like to work in partnership. You've lived in partnership. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that I do. Um, I mean, I... And... and because I, do, I feel like that I value the opinions of others and so that I like to think that I would stop and listen and, and be very mindful and, and give that its full credit. Um, so I don't think I need a 50-50 partner always being there to say it. I don't think you need a partner either. What I fear for you is your ability to manage the whole, the big picture, mm -hmm. and not just focus on what you want to focus on and blow off what you don't like, right? Because historically, Mike does not do what he doesn't want to do. Talk to him. Uh, my biggest fear for you going forward in something where I'm not holding your hand, for lack of a better term, is I don't know how you can execute all these meetings, all these people, all these relationships, without somebody helping you Managing along me. with that. Managing you, yes, absolutely. And, and if that's the world's most incredible executive assistant, maybe, I mean, maybe that's what I've been, fuck, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, man, maybe, maybe it's just that I wanna relieve you of that responsibility. I don't <laughs> want you to be the world's best executive assistant. You don't wanna manage the shit that I don't wanna do anymore. And it's not fair to you to ask you that. Right, yes. That's, but there's also another dynamic. Because he does it so well, you do it less and less. And because you do it less and less, he does it more and more. 
And because he does it more and more, you become even more the person who doesn't have to think about that which you don't like. And because you don't have to do that which you don't like, he becomes the person who doesn't like what that which you don't want to do. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it really gains a little momentum that way. You lost your practical skills and you lost your vision. Yes. Do you understand? You may say he's the idea and he's the ups, but the idea has some ups and the ups has some ideas. But when it becomes too uneven and each one literally farms out to the other that which they don't feel so confident about, we're right back where we started, then slowly you lose even the piece of you that has this. Yes. Is that new, what, what we just said now? Yeah, we haven't gone that far. Yeah. I was talking about it with my girlfriend, and she, I was telling her about Mike's new idea quite excitedly, and she was like, it sounds like you're, you're really excited for him. And I said, I am. Like, I, I believe in this one. And she's like, great, so, so where does that leave you? And I said, what do you mean? Like, I'll, I'll play some role in it. And she said, no, like, right now, where does that leave you? And I said, well, I'm going to, I want to run the business, the current business. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, um, making sure that money's getting paid and we're paying the bills we need to pay and trying to get these deals sold until there aren't any more to sell or isn't anything else to do. And she was like, well, is that fair? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I think so. Like, he's, he's working on his new thing. I don't have a new thing yet, so let me just work on this, and then I'll figure out what the new thing is. And... Then I heard myself saying that, and I was like, you know, I don't actually think that's fair. Um, yeah, obviously there's, there's a lot at play there. Like, I would, I would never ask you to do that. And you never did. You never once asked me to. I know, uh, and, I, and I don't want you to. And, uh, and I know that, that, I mean, I just don't worry about money. I, did, I, I just don't, and, and I know that you do, and I, I hate that for you. And it, there's two worries about money. There's worry about money like I need to be the richest guy in the room, which I don't think either of us are worried about that. And then there's worried about money like I got to pay the bills. Somehow Mike has the ability to not really worry about that. Um, probably because he doesn't pay many of his bills. Uh, <laughs> his wife pays his home bills and I pay his work bills. And so just like I shed my burden of maybe vision and creativity for the future, he can shed his burden of of money because Jay's going to take care of it. Right. It's called outsourcing. He, so he doesn't have to be anxious because you carry it. Right. And vice versa. He carries the ideas and you don't have to ask, what do I want? Maybe, you know, I think you need to confirm that for me, that when you are the only child of a single mother, you are much more aware of what is going on. I wasn't as a kid. Um, I remember, <laughs> I remember making fun of mom for her shitty jeans and beat up sneakers. Like, why do you wear that stuff? Why don't you have new jeans? Because she gave them to you. Because I always had the new stuff. <laughs> and it took a minute to realize that. And you? I think my relationship to money is more about risk tolerance. Like, I'm, I always, I've always been okay even when I had nothing, and, and I'm not afraid to lose everything that I have because I know I can get it back. I can go out and find a way to get some if I need to. And yours would be? <sighs> the opposite. Mine would be it took an incredible amount of effort, anxiety, risk that I would rather not have on, uh, but accepted slash knew I needed to to make the returns that we wanted to make. And therefore we made that money. And when it goes away, it... So he says, I don't mind if I lose everything because I know I can get it back. Yeah. And you say... I earned it and I don't want to lose it all. I... Does your dad enter that narrative too? Well... He was not a good businessman. So maybe this is me being better. You know, my mom said, I love everything about your father and I see so much of him in you. 
the one thing I would love is if you're not terrible with money and or at business like your dad was. So. I considered a failure. A failure in what? I'm not exactly sure, but it's a failure. I should have made the right decisions. I should have planned ahead. Should, 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 should. In the appropriate ways. You began by saying we have different attitudes to money and to risk-taking. But now I got curious. How would you describe your relationship to this amazing word that we could spend three hours just talking oh, about? failure? Yeah. Uh, I, I put the most pressure on myself. And I think a lot of that comes from this whole success or failure thing because I historically do very well at what I choose to do. And uh, I believe that I am an incredibly high achiever and I am capable of anything that I choose to go do. Um, and I, but I pick those things specifically because I don't want to do anything that I don't win at. So I'm terrified of failing. Uh, and, it, and it plays into business and personal. Say more. I have all these challenges growing up and, um, and trying to achieve this dream of being a fighter pilot. Um, and so... And the jets. challenges were what? As uh, I was growing up, well, I, I grew up without a dad. Um, so challenge number one, maybe. Uh, in high school, I, got, uh, I, I had a bad accident between your junior and senior year. I got shot in the face at a party with a real big gun. Uh, it was a real formative thing in my life. Many say I should have died. I'm very lucky that I did not. I am very fortunate the way I recovered. I think a lot of it was attitude-driven. Um, I, I believed that I was going to recover 100% and still go to the Naval Academy and still fly fighters, and I did. And, and I succeeded in that lifelong dream of being a fighter pilot. In the Navy, I wanted to be the best fighter pilot. Um, I wanted to be the best squadron mate to all my buddies. Like, that's what I was. So anyway, this whole, this whole story came up from this relationship question. I never had time nor priority in my life. Even though I wanted it, I never made any space for it. Um, and then when I got out of the Navy, I immediately moved to Midland, Texas to get in the oil business because now I need to succeed at something else. Um, I, I never had a year-long relationship with a woman. I, I am in one now, um, uh, and it's a huge, huge deal. But I think generally what we've talked about is my fear of commitment. And I don't know if we've talked about like why I fear that commitment. And I don't even know 100% if I know why I do. I think probably a lot of it has to do with loss. You know, my dad from a young age. Um, I think also a lot of it has to do with like, am I going to be good at this? Am I going to succeed at this? So that's why I say that this, this concept of success and failure has also driven personal life. Right. And to me, the ability to not personalize and not to think of it as success and failure in the extreme ways that you do is what allows people to be serial entrepreneurs in a more, uh, in a better way than others. I see that. What makes the difference is, um, is the ability to let go. Because if all you think is I'm a failure, you can't think about the next idea. Yes. You're hijacked into your thoughts about yourself, which is what kept you stuck for two years too. And I mean, you don't even know how extreme this is for him. He's, he won the world championships in air racing. He's the guy that became a fighter pilot after getting shot in the face. That doesn't happen. So, so he's, he's achieved these incredible things. So now he's the guy that can't fail. I feel it when he talks, don't worry. 
I get it. And the higher you go and the, and the higher you can fall. The lower you can fall. And a part of your closeness to this guy is because you sit in that cockpit where you are literally on, perched on the edge between life and death. And when you come out of there alive, you have conquered your fear of loss with him. Wow. He said before, before the, we walked in here, that I'm the only person he's ever committed to. So no wonder it was terrifying for me to do my own thing and not have him be a part of it. I mean, it feels like a breakup. It doesn't feel. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. It is a separation. It's not a breakup, but it is a separation. You know. And the, the one person that he's trusted. Do you have a sense that, do you understand the the, that his responsibility doesn't just come from nowhere? He knows what it means for you to have trusted him in this way. Yeah. Uh, As you said earlier, you don't have to tell him. Right. It oozes out and he, f he viscerally feels it. It's not just a feeling, it's an embodied experience. True. Lay it on him for a minute. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was probably the hardest part about, about moving forward with this, this new idea was, what if there's not a spot for you there? Because you've, you've given me the one thing that you've not given anybody else. You've given me the trust uh, to do life together. And... Uh, what an awful thing to reject that. Uh, yeah, wow. I hadn't really considered it at that, um, at that level. Uh. Yeah, me neither. But it makes sense. Uh. I mean, it's I feel a, better. It's, it's okay. Absolve your responsibility. Because you see, stuck to me is like a system of roots underground. You get to see the surface of the stuck. But when something is stuck, it's because something else is pulling at it that you can't always immediately see. The, the, the roots underneath, it's like a tree. You don't know what they connect to. And that, it's that sleuth work that when you actually identify it, you do feel better. Because it literally opens up obstructions and then whatever, air, ideas, love can come true, you know, because what happens is that in the end you don't recognize, neither person here recognize themselves. Where's my confidence? Yeah. You know, that's the piece that they both have been navel-gazing. I said, where's my confidence? Where's the guy I know? My guess is you're going to maybe or maybe not have anything to do with this, this venture. You may meet up on another venture. This may be a period where you do separate ventures. Your biggest venture is probably going to be that you're going to become a father. And that will change the entire way you do business. And when you will have that, you will also think differently about how he thinks. Because he, in a way, has had to focus on the presence of people in his life and what he does about that. And you have had to deal on the absence of people in your life and what you do about that. He's always come with a multi-perspective. You've always come with a singular perspective. And the only multiple you got is when he sheds a reflection on you. True. Now you have somebody else who says, hey, dude, that doesn't sound very fair. You know? And so you come into the conversation with him very differently. And it's going to just amplify like that. Because she's going to see you come home in the evening. Well, that's awesome.
You need that. Huh? I think it's life-changing for you, actually. I think you're right. By the end of this session, Jay and Mike have a new template for what together apart can mean for them. In many ways, it was all already in them, but they needed the permission and they needed the ability to put words to this intricate system of roots underneath. The roots of their childhood, the roots of their transition, the roots of their complementarity, and the roots for a vision for the future. All of that bleeds into the stories of relationships at work. Esther Perel is a best-selling author, speaker, and host of the podcast, Where Should We Begin? To learn more about Esther Perel's world, to sign up for her newsletter, or to apply to be on the podcast, go to estherperel.com slash housework. Housework is produced by Magnificent Noise for Gimlet and Esther Perel Productions. Our production staff includes Eric Newsom, Eva Wolchover, Destry Sibley, Alex Lewis, Kristen Muller, and our coordinating producer is Lindsay Rutowski. Our recording engineer is Noriko Okabe, and Damon Whittemore is our mix engineer. The theme song was written by Doug Slaywin. And the executive producers of How's Work are Esther Perel and Jesse Baker. We would also like to thank Nazanin Rafsanjani, Matt Lieber, Darian LeBeach, Courtney Hamilton, Kelly Rose, Nick Oxenhorn, Dr. Guy Winch, Catherine Minshew and her team at The Muse, Paul Schneider, Thomas Curry, Shani Aviram, and Jack Saul. <laughs>